All right, welcome everyone to the uh, Monday, December 5th edition of Planning and Zoning. Um, first order of business is the invocation. All right, Commissioner Maynard will lead us in that effort. We want to thank you for the many, many blessings that you bestowed upon us, Lord, the opportunity that you've given us to have life, liberty, and freedom. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to serve, Lord, this great city. And we thank you for those who are citizens who have come out tonight, Lord, to be a part of this process. We pray that you would bless everyone who is on the day out, touch them all one by one in the name of Jesus, bless their families, bless our residents as well, continue to meet the needs that they have. Lord, we just thank you for your many, many blessings. We magnify your name for all that you've done. Give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Next is the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Second pledge. Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to Texas. The uh, next item on the agenda is a recess in executive session. Uh, we have no uh, reason to go into executive sessions this evening, so we will uh, we'll not be doing that. We'll move on on the agenda. The next item on the agenda is approval of uh, minutes from our previous meeting on November 7th. Um, so commissioners will take a moment to look through those minutes, and uh, if there's no questions or comments, I'll take a motion to approve. Move to approve. Second. All right, we have a motion to approve by Vice Chairman Maynard and a second by Commissioner Gilmore. So we will go to a vote. All right, the uh, meeting minutes are approved 502. Uh, the next item on the agenda is citizen comments. Uh, citizens wishing to address the commission on non-public hearing agenda items and items not on the agenda may do so at this time. Once the business portion of the meeting begins, only comments related to public hearings will be heard. All comments are limited to five minutes. I do have some cards, but I believe they are all for agenda items. Got a few in here that don't have an agenda item identified. Did anybody submit a card that wishes to speak during this portion of the meeting? This 
All right, we'll uh, move to the next item on the agenda, the consent agenda. We have one item on the consent agenda this evening. That is 22-5074, SD number 21-050, final plat of Somerset Phase 4B on 20.05 acres, generally located south and west of Ambrose Parkway, approximately 120 feet south of Rollins Lane, Bloomfield Homes, LP owner developer and LJA surveying surveyor. Does any of the commissioners have any, would like to pull this off the consent agenda or have any questions? If not, we'll entertain a motion. A motion to accept. Second. All right, we have a motion to approve by Commissioner Goodwin and a second by Commissioner Gilmore. We'll go to a vote. And the agenda item carries five to zero two. <clears throat> Next item on the agenda is our public hearings. We've got several this evening. Uh, the first one up is 22-5067, SD number 22-059. Public hearing on a replat to create lots 6R-1 and 6R-2, Block 39, Hillcrest Edition, fourth installment on 0.602 acres located at 111 Juniper Street, Hired Guns, LLC Surveyor, Jeffrey and Penny Johnson Owners. Uh, thank you, Commissioners. I'll go ahead and present just from the dais today. Um, the purpose of this plat is to create two residential lots. The existing house will remain on lot 6R1. Um, a new home will be constructed on lot 6R2. Uh, both properties are zoned SF 7.512 and meet those standards. Uh, the plat does meet all standards of, and requirements of the subdivision control ordinance. That's all staff has. Thank you, Artie. We will open the public hearing at 6.07. I believe I have two cards on this issue. Um, I have a Forgive me if I butcher this. Uh, Amy or Ann Vess? Please state your name and address for the record. I'm, I'm Ann Vess. I live at 112 Jennifer Street. And we came into Mansfield in 62. So I've been around a long time. And I really do love Mansfield. Um, I am interested in my neighbor next door also is interested in drainage. Please, please address the drainage because we almost got it in the house last time we had a big flood. So that's the reason I'm here and I'll be reporting back to my neighbor next door. But thank you. Thank you very much. 
Ms. Best, is it, um, I didn't see a mark check for support or oppose on your card. Do you just, for the record, are you supporting the project or opposing it? Can you, can you come back up? Okay. All right. I just wanted to confirm if you were supporting the project or opposing the project. I, I'm sorry. I have a hearing problem. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know more about what is going on um, because it will be close to my house, across the street from my house. And so I'd like to know more about what they are going to do. Um, All right. Um, and I will speak as, as clearly as I can on this case. Uh, as stated, there is a piece of property. This is a platted or a plat case. So essentially what is occurring is one larger piece of property where a home exists today will be subdivided into two lots. Are you following me? I, I think I do. Uh, I, I did not get up and go and look and see. I can, let's actually go. Uh, the neighbor next door did. And, and she said it was that close to getting over the board and into her house yeah. when we had the last one. Jen, can you yeah. go to the next slide? Uh -huh. The next slide? Yeah, because okay. I'm across the street from Ben, from this right here. Already got one? Uh -huh. Yes, please. Yeah. And so she was, I think, really interested in, you know, what we were going to be doing about the drainage, too. It has to be a, you know, part of it. Currently today, commissioners, you have a larger piece of property. Uh, this piece of property was developed and uh, meets the 7.512 standards that are, are in the ordinance today. This plat subdivides this piece of property and there's an existing home on this lot here. Okay. There's an existing home on that lot. They're creating a second lot here to create a new a, a lot for a new home so as those meet standards within that zoning ordinance um, this project does not meet the threshold to uh, require additional drainage or, or any of those types of items within it the city will make sure that we note that there is a drainage issue that the community has brought up to us and we will make sure that we relay that over to our public works group I so thank you. Okay. I, I thank you so much. And I'm sure my neighbor next door will thank you too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Ari. <clears throat> I have a second card on this case uh, from Tracy Milan. Do you wish to come up and speak? Okay.
I'll, I'll get the case number for you. Okay. Five one. Okay. All right. Thank you. Any other <clears throat> citizens wish to come speak on this case? All right. We'll close the public hearing at six thirteen, and open it up to commissioner comments. We'll start on my right. No comments. None for me. None for me. All right. We'll entertain a motion. Move to approve. I'll second that motion. All right. We have a motion to approve by Vice Chairman Maynard and a second by Commissioner Gilmore. We'll go to a vote. Agent right, item carries 502. Next public hearing case is 22-5069, SD number 21-054, a public hearing to consider a replat to create Somerset Phase 5A, being a revision of Lot 1X, Block 42, and Lot 11X, Block 39, Somerset Phase 3, <clears throat> according to the plat filed in instrument number 2021-91, drawer L, PRJCT, in a 38.745 acre unplatted tract of land out of the Sea Villa Survey, abstract number 851, Johnson County, Texas, on property located at 2150 Ambrose Parkway, 2406 Loxley Drive, and a tract generally located on the south side of Lone Star Road and east of South US 287. Bloomfield, Hold, Bloomfield Homes LP, owner developer, and LJA surveying. All right, commissioners, on the next two slides, you'll see the same um, plat that is within your packet. This, pat, this plat is for a 132 single family, or sorry, will create 132 single family residential lots and 14 open space lots. Um, typically, this type of project, um, or sorry, this type of project is coming to us because uh, it does incorporate some changes to existing platted lots. Um, but with that being said, there, sorry, all of the lots meet the required minimum lot area, lot width, and lot depth required by the Somerset Plan Development District standards. Um, although the plat is in front of us today, it won't be recorded until an offsite easement is taken care of. Uh, but all other items on this plat uh, do meet the subdivision control ordinance of the city of Mansfield, and staff is in support. All right, thank you, Artie. Um, we'll open the public hearing at 6.15. And I have one card from the applicant of Andrew Bubeck. I'm trying to pronounce it. I'm sure I butchered it. Well, my handwriting isn't extremely great either, so I could forgive you. Uh, my name is Andrew Kubiak, and I'm with LJA Engineering, uh, representing the owner-developer on this project, and I'm happy to answer any questions that y'all might have. All right. Thank you, Andrew. We'll bring you back up if anybody has any comments. Yes, sir. Thank you. I have no other cards for this uh, public hearing. 
So uh, we will close it at 6.16 and open it to commissioner comments. Which, which lots are getting replatted with this final plat? I do not have them noted on the, the slide that's in front of us, but within your packet, uh, you can see that there are um, a few changes that ultimately change the alignment of roadways along Ambrose Parkway, which is uh, at the, throughout the center of the development. Uh, and so those lots, in order to allow the realignment of, of right-of-way, are changing slightly. Um, some of those lots will ultimately create new uh, buildable lots within the subdivision. And uh, is there a, okay. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I can get to the specific question on, on which lots you're, it's mainly the so there lots. were some open space lots based on roadway realignments. Right. Uh, it allows for those lots to become buildable in those areas where they have made some slight changes to make a buildable lot. They have changed the right of way to create more open space in other areas. Uh, so it's been sort of a switch off within this plat. Okay. I'm, I'm seeing the one specifically okay. on the um, previously approved plat okay. in our packet. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> that was all in my question. Okay. All right, do we know if this is the final phase of Somerset or is there another phase still to come? I am unaware of any future phase. Oh, sorry. I'm unaware of those phases. Uh, this is the last phase of single family for Somerset, but there is a commercial element there that you can see on the top side of the sheet there. And then further south, I think somewhere closer to phase two, there's a townhome development that is also a part of the PD for Somerset. Thank you. Is it that lots outlined in red on the previous plant? Okay. And what was the easement that we're needing to make sure is corrected or done prior? So when there are off-site easements, uh, as you're waiting for recording information, as other phases get to a completion, uh, I, I'm, I'll let the applicant speak to it, but I'm, I'm sure that it's, it's waiting for the utility to actually be built. That easement will then be finalized and, but. Yeah, I think, is this just a touch screen? Yes, here? it is. Okay. So yes, there's, there's a utility easement here that needs to be recorded uh, just as a standard mm -hmm. city policy. You have 10-foot utility easements that are parallel to all dedicated rights away. This utility easement sits outside of our platted boundary, and so we're working with the owner of that property, Knox Street Partners, to get that filed. Okay. And we have, we have no reason to believe that they would withhold that. Uh, in addition, there's also a drainage easement here that also needs to be abandoned. 
uh, there was just an earthen channel there that diverted flow from this phase around and then into a storm drain, and it's just, it needs to be abandoned just to clean up tidal. Thank you. Just one other question, and it's just, just enough, just to, for, for my information. Um, so I know that there's construction going on down Lone Star, and we're trying to do some things over in that area. Do you have an idea from a timeline as to when you're going to break ground on this phase? I'm, I'm sorry, say that question again. Do you have an idea as to when you're going to have a timeline when you're going to break ground on this phase? Uh, earthwork is already underway on all of the Somerset 4A, 4B, and 5A, and we've had pre-cons already for uh, these phases as well. So just as quickly as we can get them done. Any other questions? And we'll entertain a motion. Move to approve. Second. Got a motion by Commissioner Gilmore and a second by Commissioner Thompson. We'll go to a vote. Thank y'all. Thank you. Uh, next public hearing case is 22-5070, SD number 22-056, public hearing to consider a replat to create lots 1X to 2 through 32, Block 1, Benson Manors, in addition to City of Mansfield, Tarrant County, Texas, being a portion of Lot R-4-F, R.S. Knoll's second revision, according to the plat filed in Volume 388-1, Slide 332, PRTCT, and a portion of Lot A, R.S. Knoll's revision, according to the plat filed in Volume 388-F, Slide 332, PRTCT, City of Mansfield, Tarrant County, Texas, on property located at 708 East Broad Street, D.D. Benson Development, LLC, owner, and Bannister Engineering, engineer surveyor. Take it away, staff. All right, commissioners, this plat creates 27 townhome lots and two commercial mixed-use lots. Um, the property, as you can see, is located just west of us um, along East Broad, almost at the intersection with South Walnut Creek. Um, the... Uh, commercial mixed-use lots are the lots that are being created at the front of the development. Uh, as you can see here on the slide, the 27 townhome units are then created uh, towards the rear of that development. Uh, this piece of property went through a rezoning process uh, last year on, uh, to, to rezone it to the D downtown district. It does have two sub-districts on it, the SD1 district along Broad Street and the D3 district. Uh, this plat does comply with all uh, lot standard, minimum lot standards found within that district. And um, the plat does meet the requirements of the city subdivision control ordinance and therefore staff is recommending approval. All right, thank you, Artie. We will open the public hearing at 624. I have a couple of cards. Um, I have one from Amy Wincoop. A non-speaker, are you uh, in support or oppose? Yeah, 
Okay. All right, I have at I have a Chuck Wincoop. <laughs> Same. Okay. Those are the only cards I have. Uh, any other citizens wish to speak on this this case? All right, hearing none, we'll close the public hearing at 625 and open it to commissioner comments. I'll jump in. Um, <clears throat> so this is just a replat for the residential lots. Is it replatting the area for the commercial lots as well? It does create two commercial lots along the front. Sorry, they will ultimately be mixed-use lots, uh, but that's lots two and three. Uh, you can see them outlined uh, on the left hand of the, the image that's on our screen there. Okay. Um, the larger area that, that sort of runs through the middle is lot 1X, which is all of the common access and those types of items. Okay. Um, I, I know we've already re, or we've already rezoned this piece of property for a planned development. Um, so, you know, that, that doesn't bother me so much as just looking at the um, 20 foot common access utility and drainage easements. Um, I know this piece of property just being where it's at is a lot of drainage that runs through there. Has that been looked at and addressed by um, Public Works yet or uh, do we know if they've uh, approved that there's enough drainage easements? So uh, thank you for that question. Uh, the uh, plat does go through a review process with our uh, PRC team, uh, our public works and engineering groups are part of that. Uh, they have looked at this um, property with its preliminary drainage and um, the creation of the drainage easements that are being shown have been, have been done with their input uh, in mind. Okay. And do we recall what the original number of townhomes with the planned development was versus what's being platted here? So this isn't necessarily a planned development as it, it's falling under the base zoning uh, with the downtown district. Oh, that's right. That's and, right. and so there aren't, there aren't um, lots that were created with a, a PD or sort of an, an understanding. This, is, uh, this land use, though, does follow those, those standards. That's right. It was rezoned to the commercial or the downtown district. Okay, I remember yes. that. Yes, and Commissioner Gilmore, to answer your question, I believe under the contemplated PD, it was 15 or 16 dwelling units. Gotcha. Okay. Those are my questions for now. Um, just a couple of questions, Art, and I know that city staff has went through the review, but just for the, the sake of hearing the information tonight, the one entryway, it appears there's only one entryway off of Broad Street, is that correct? And it appears that just looking at the map that it may be somewhat close to the Walnut Creek intersection, are there any concerns in regards to where that entryway is? Would it be, I guess it'll have to be a right turn only. I don't think you can go back to the left out of that particular area. So you'll have to go back east to get out of there. Um, does the city staff any, have any concerns regarding having only the one entryway as well as being able to go east only? You are correct as part of the review. Uh, this is reviewed by our traffic engineers. The traffic engineers look at the uh, 
the access and the overall access plan of the current development that surrounds the lots. Um, they did agree that this was uh, adequate circulation for this development as well. Uh, along with that, our public works group uh, did make sure that there was circulation throughout the development, as you can see, the alleyway that, that sort of um, creates a T around this development as well. Uh, that was also reviewed by our fire department for accessing and complete coverage for, uh, for fire access as well. Okay. And then along the eastern portion of the property as well as the southern portion of the property, there's residential homes that back up to that, uh, those areas. Will these be two-story only or will they be allowed to have any three stories on this property? So the development itself will meet the height standards within the um, D downtown district. It is contemplated that there will be multiple story buildings. Uh, the commercial uh, specifically that is along uh, Broad Street will have a commercial on a ground floor with residential units on the, on the floors above that. Uh, at the time, the developer is talking about to up to three uh, floors on this development. Uh, that three stories, just so that the commission understands uh, where staff sits on, on sort of the height transitions that occur there, a typical single family development, while uh, it is seen to be a, a single story structure with about 20 feet in height, um, our uh, SF zoning does allow for developments to go up to 33 feet, and therefore the, the heights are, are similar in that stance. Uh, as you can see, there are separations between the uh, residential uh, with both an alleyway as well as other uh, buffering elements. Okay. And right. I apologize, commissioners. Uh, we don't have the we we don't have any other exhibits to to show that show sort of what the developer is looking to do. This is because this is a plat. This is really just laying out the gotcha. the land there. Okay. The only other question I have would just be in regards to uh, the two commercial lots up front. Has there been conversation with the developer in regards to the timeline of development of the townhomes versus the commercial lots and do we know if they have, I know it's early on, but do they have any potential suitors yet for those properties, those uh, lots? We have had plenty of conversations with the developer on uh, the, uh, not only the commercial here, but making sure that there is adequate access to adjacent properties if those end up developing in a certain way as well. Uh, we do not have any details on the development schedule for the commercial at this time, uh, but this does set up those lots for, uh, by providing it with its entitlements. Okay, great. Thank you, Audie. Commissioner <coughs> Maynard, I believe there is a curb cut in that center island that'd be across from the... Uh, access point there. Yeah. Is there access around this block one center island for that first back alleyway? Around behind lot two? I'm sorry, Commissioner, I missed your question. So where the shared spot is, block one, and then lot, the commercial spot, lot two? and then you have the first row, and then their alleyway, is there gonna be access behind lot two to get to that alleyway around the shared community space? Yes, 
Um, one second, I'm gonna go up to the board. Lot two is being created here. Uh, these are each one of the individual townhome lots which face in on Dean Drive. Dean Drive is sort of that main spine that comes through. Uh, as the site develops and as um, the developer comes up with, um, it's interesting because it looks totally different here than it does up there. <laughs> so I was like, man, I went a little long with that line. Um, so as you can see, there's circulation that occurs throughout here with that access okay. easement. Uh, that didn't go well. I'm now outlining the alleys in green, the main access drive in red. There's additional circulation that occurs in this area. Is that what you're speaking yes. of? Okay. Um, so yes, all, all there will be uh, the ability to to have circulation there. Uh, when we've looked at different development plans, they look at uh, having parking in these general areas uh, for the overall development. But again, uh, right now we're looking at just making sure that the the lots get uh, uh, put in place for this development. I'm going to stay up here. I have a couple of questions already. Yes, sir. I'm trying, you know, uh, Commissioner, Vice Chairman Maynard brought up a good point about the access point. And uh, I know city staff has looked at this. My concern is, is that we may think this is a good place to put this driveway today but if there's any plans to widen broad and change that median, it may look a lot different later. Yeah. Um, yes, you're correct. It could look different and there, and, and staff has contemplated all sorts of uh, different scenarios in order to, to make sure that we're addressing uh, connectivity, uh, both from a, a standpoint today and a standpoint in the future. Uh, there are uh, other developments that are being discussed at this time uh, that may create the need for access towards Walnut Creek as opposed to uh, just utilizing what Broad Street has for this development. Uh, if we can go back to the, the plat, Jim, uh, which is one of the reasons why city staff has, has asked that this uh, portion of the access easement actually goes towards the property line. Uh, again, if there's ever a reason to connect those developments in the future, that's something that the future uh, property owners can discuss as, as again, this entire area uh, redevelops. Okay. I'm hoping that answers your question. There, there have been a lot of discussions that staff has made sure to, to, to have about uh, future access in this area. Okay. Does the proposed placement of where the access point is for this property line up with the driveway at the Mission Center across? Does it line up directly with that driveway? Can go back to the slide right yeah, before I think the aerial view is probably the best 
It looks like it, it probably does. Um, I would say that, that, the, that this driveway is somewhere over in this way, on this side though. It's a little offset there, which I think goes back to the discussion earlier about access is, is more than likely coming out on that eastern edge there. There's, um, I know Art was in the room. I don't know if Art recalls this is one of the cases he had worked on. I don't know if we had that specific discussion about how those offset. Um, but again, this is a, a plat that's been reviewed by our, our public works group. I get it. I just, yeah. I, my concern is that the way Broad Street is designed now and operates right there, if you line the driveway up with the driveway to the Mission Center, I think you're creating maybe some unintended conflict there with movements. It's not wide enough for, let's say I'm in the parking lot at the Mission Center and I wanna go east on Broad and somebody's pulling out of this property trying to go across and take a left to go into downtown. That's not wide enough there for two cars to really maneuver that situation from what I'm seeing here. So, I mean, I still have concerns there about where we've decided to place the access point. To the commissioner's point, I would, I would feel more comfortable with it not lining up to prevent that from being an issue. Yeah, if we can go sure to the next don't have slide, that problem. if we can go to the next slide, Jen, I, I'm not certain that it actually does line up, but it, I mean, looking at the center line here, um, I don't have those two exhibits uh, superimposed on each other to understand how how closely they line up. Uh, again, um, it's a a plat that meets all of our our requirements of our subdivision control ordinance. Uh, and therefore, it is a plat that, that staff doesn't, doesn't have a, a waiver here that we're, we're, we're trying to make sure this plat um, uh, provides for access into the development. Again, those are all items that were, were looked at by our public works group uh, when they reviewed this plat. I'll get to my other question. Thank you, Ari. Okay. <laughs> It was noted in here that the private developer is maintaining all the streets in here. Mm -hmm. So this is not a public street added to the Mansfield Thorough Plan. This is all private drive, basically. It's not gated, correct? No, it is not gated. Okay. That was the easier question. Maybe I should have started with that. So. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Um, staff can go back and review this if we have concerns, right? And no matter what the way the vote goes on this particular case, if we have concerns on this, there could be a potential revision to it, correct? To address those concerns? So what this plat is doing is it is laying out the lots uh, necessary for this development. It is laying out the necessary access easements for this development. Uh, if there is a issue that needs to be addressed at a future point in time, uh, those are all items that can be discussed uh, as that goes. We're, we're sort I, I, I wanna make sure that the commission understands that we are in a point where when a plat meets our subdivision ordinance standards and it has been reviewed 
uh, by all groups. Uh, and I'm, I'm wanting to make sure that I, I understand what you're asking. After a vote takes place on this plat, unless there is something that does not meet the subdivision control ordinance, um, the direction that, that staff would give towards the commission is that this is a plat that should be approved. Um, I believe what I hear though is if there are additional ways to sort of address how turning movements may occur within the public right-of-way, those are all items that can still be discussed with staff internally uh, as we move forward. Uh, does that answer your question? I think so. I okay. think it does answer that. Okay. Because definitely when I'm receiving feedback from the commission on things that are happening within the public right-of-way, uh, as, as uh, the commission knows, there are are all types of traffic calming that has occurred after a right-of-way is in place. Um, I think if you go over towards Market Street, you can see how the city has recently done uh, some new things to, to help with turning movements in that area. Uh, and I bring those up just to say that I think that that's what you're asking is, do we have the ability to address these concerns as we move beyond this plat? Um, and I say, I'd like to say yes. You're absolutely right. All right. <laughs> I like to address it now and not have to go put things like that out there that somebody has to maintain and it costs money. Understood. So that's exactly why I bring it up. Okay. Uh, we'll make sure to have that discussion. All right. Thank you. All right. I just want to add just understanding our role and responsibility in regards to this and is this the best use for the property? I, I, I'm, I have no opposition against the townhomes going on this corner. I just have the concern about the entrance and exit that's there and, and how well that's going to serve that area. Driving Broad Street twice a day, at least in the work and back home, it can get a little tough in that area. And we have some small turn, uh, crossovers that are on Broad Street that are in that area that are very challenging when you're trying to utilize those. So having 27 townhomes, if you have an average of two cars per townhome, you got 54 vehicles trying to get out in the morning, trying to get back in the evening. It could be more, it could be less, but on average. Um, it could create some challenges with only the one exit that dumps right out onto Broad Street, just a short distance away from the light, and trying to go east, and some people trying to force their way to go west. I just, I just see that as a concern. I like the project. I think it's great to have the townhomes there. I think it fits in what we're trying to do downtown. It's just a concern about the entrance and the exit as well, where I sit with it. Mr. Chairman, I'd move to accept. Second. All right, we have a motion to approve by Commissioner Goodwin and a second by Commissioner Thompson. We'll go to a vote. Um, the motion carries 502. Next public hearing on the agenda is, I need to turn my page, don't I? 22-5071, SD number 22-051, public hearing on a replat to create lots 15R-1, 15R-2, and 15R-3, block four, original town of Mansfield, in addition to city of Mansfield being a revision of lot 15, block four, original town of Mansfield, 
according to the plat filed in volume 63, page 53, PRTCT, City of Mansfield, Tarrant County, Texas, on property located at 113 North 2nd Avenue, Land Point Incorporated, Surveyor, Shrinite Construction Management, LLC, Developer, and Jose and Rosanna Cabos, Owners. Take it away. All right, I'm gonna try to present this one a little bit differently. Okay, so this piece of property uh, is within our D downtown district. Um, as you can see outlined within the uh, aerial that you see in front of you, uh, the property fronts West Oak Street, uh, but does have a, a uh, secondary access on, or sorry, a secondary frontage on uh, 2nd Avenue. Um, today, it exists as one lot. Uh, as it is within the D downtown district, there are three lots being created in order to uh, allow for townhome lots to be, sorry, uh, live work units with a residential use on the top uh, of a commercial use to be developed within these three lots. Um, with that said, this plan sub subdivides those properties so that each one of the um, dwelling units can be uh, owned separately. Uh, hence the, the subdivision of property that is occurring in this plat. Uh, this plat also meets all of the city's subdivision control ordinance requirements uh, and therefore staff recommends approval. Um, and I'm available for questions if you may have any. All right, thank you, Artie. We will open the public hearing at 646. I have one card for this case, Tracy Milan. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, I live right next door to that lot, <clears throat> excuse me, and I've had numerous people that are working on this demolishing and everything give me different stories. Um, I've had three different people tell me three the three triplexers are going in next door. I'll have nine families right there with zero parking. Um, Oak Street is a cut through for the people on Main that don't want to go to the light at Broad that takes forever. So they go 70, 80 miles an hour down the road. I see people getting hit. It is horribly just ridiculous how fast they go. Anyone living in that house is going to have some serious issues getting out and according to the people that I've spoken to there's not going to be anywhere to park so I'm not sure uh, what's going on there but I live in a historical home the home next to me at 107 my mother owns that's also in his historical home um, she lives on Kimball and has three houses there they're all historical when we keep them looking that way and we don't want someone coming in putting in what they're trying to do right next to me um, it's not a safe thing to do, and nine families next door on one lot, no one's okay with this. None of my neighbors are okay with this. Everybody's sick right now with COVID. Um, I've got Joe Griffin, who lives next to my mom's house, next to me. Um, he's completely against this, as is his wife. The people behind me on 3rd Street are as well, and they were, they're just all sick right now, and no one could come tonight. So I'm just letting you know, or it's... 
I, I, I love Mansfield. I've been here for almost 40, well, 30-something years now. My kids have gone to school and graduated here. I'm proud to say I'm from here. I love the historical district, but what's happening now, putting nine families next to me and then endangering them, I'm 100% against this. I know I'm just one person. That's my husband. He believes the same way, but he thinks you're looking at us like one, so I'm speaking for both of us. My senior citizen father lives with us. He feels the same way. Um, just letting you know how I feel. And all of my family lives here, so. That's, that's about all I have to say. Thank you very much, Ms. Sure. Warren. If we have any questions, we'll call you back up. Okay. I have no other cards for this case. So anybody else wish to speak on this, this case? Seeing none, we'll close the public hearing at 649 and open it to commissioner comments. All right, can you address, can you address the three single individual, single family homes, please? From a land use standpoint, we're looking at three individually platted lots. Um, the allowed uses within our D2 district do not allow for multifamily type uses within, within these lots. Um, they do allow for live work units. Live work units would be um, a situation in which there is one owner of a lot. So you see three lots in front of you, that's lot 15R1 on your left-hand side, 15R2 in the center, 15R3 uh, on the right-hand side. 15R3 is the one that shares uh, frontages with Oak Street as well as Second Avenue. Uh, there is a common access util uh, and utility easement at the rear of this piece of property that would allow access into the rear of the buildings for parking and those types of things. Again, the allowed land use within this, within the D2 district is uh, live work, and that's what this developer has talked to us about. Uh, staff is trying to make sure that we have a discussion that provides the public with good input, but I wanna remind everybody that, again, this is not a land use discussion. This is a, a subdivision of property that we're discussing right now. Uh, the land use that is being proposed um, I, I, I guess to, to answer the question and to ease the concern, there is not the ability to take one of these lots and divide it into three multifamily developments. Uh, so I, I think that's how you get to nine in, in, in the, the equation you were doing. You were saying uh, that possibly there's three in each one of these buildings. I think what may get lost as people are discussing the property is they call it different things. Uh, I made a mistake at the beginning of the public hearing and said that this was a townhome development. It is like a townhome development in that there is an ownership pattern with these live work units. Uh, these live work units are not triplexes uh, individually as, as was described earlier. Therefore, there could not be uh, multifamily occurring within any one of these separate lots. There will be three separate owners of three separate live work units. Again, 
the stipulations within the ordinance state that live work units must be occupied by the commercial owner um, and uh, the residents above are, are all one unit uh, of ownership. That's, I, I think that's the best land use description I can give uh, during the, the platting phase of this property. I hope that answered your yeah. question, Commissioner. Okay. So already to put it this way, the coffee shop's in the bottom, but I can live above my coffee shop up top. That's most definitely what you can do, or your office is in the bottom. Um, if you're an architect or an attorney or, or anything of that sort, you have a space that you're allowed to have a commercial entity underneath your house. Um, so again, these are three individual lots that will be, uh, that are being subdivided so that this developer can do uh, live work units, three separate live work units. Are there any minimums? Um, I'm assuming by bringing this to us and it meets all the regulations that you, you that the replat has met the minimums, but I just wanted to kind of make sure and reiterate that because you're looking at 20, roughly 25 foot for each one of these lots of buildable uh, street frontage across Oak Street. Yes, this does meet all minimum standards of the um, zoning ordinance as well as the subdivision control ordinance. Okay. Um, I know that there's a 10 foot build back line on the uh, west side of the property. Um, is there, I, can, I can't remember off the top of my head in the downtown zoning districts, are there any requirements for screening or fencing in that 10 foot build back line? Because the land uses can be contemplated as being similar along, um, within the D2 district, even the transitions between the D2 district and the D1 district, uh, you have residential uses and in, 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 um, since those uses are similar, we did not provide um, additional screening or those types of things as, as developments came through. But there is a 10-foot buildback line from the That's property correct. line, so there can't be anything within that 10-foot. That's correct. Okay. All right. Those are my questions. So one thing, Artie, is, you know, as we see redevelopment down here in downtown you know mrs mohan brought up a good point about parking because these are commercial uses which commercial uses require customers to survive so um i think in the larger scale and i would i'm pretty confident say staff is looking at that evaluating how parking is going to look as these types of developments occur in downtown that be accurate statement that is an accurate statement um, one way that i will add additional information to that that discussion is as we've been looking at any of the site plans that occur uh, again there is there's a pretty detailed um, development process laid out within the d downtown district on uh, site plan requirements that come towards staff in order to review those projects. From what we've seen to date, 
this developer is contemplating utilizing on-street parking uh, as well. Uh, the property to the east has on-street parking on Oak Street. There's a church uh, next door has on-street parking. This would continue that treatment as the development uh, occurs. Chairman, to reinforce what Mr. Wheaton Rodriguez is saying as well, for the live work units, it doesn't contemplate retail on the ground floor. It contemplates office. So as was described earlier for an architect and attorney, very low intensity uses that could also double as a home occupation as allowed in other zoning districts. And yes, the developer for the live work units has also proposed an abundance of on-street parking that goes far and above what is required by the downtown district because of the fact that it is within 800 feet of existing parking. It's not required to provide parking, but they are going above and beyond and providing parking anyway to further complement the, street, the streetscape that Mr. Wheaton Rodriguez described as well. So I do want to say that they are meeting all of those requirements. They are also working with us on aesthetic standards to ensure that it's not disruptive visually to the existing urban fabric and that it does become part of it. So again, with this plat, it is meeting all of the standards, all the requirements, not only of the subdivision control ordinance, but also land use vis-a-vis uh, -vis zoning in order to get a building permit. Thank you, Jason. And you did answer the second question I was going to ask about aesthetics, so I appreciate that. No motion. What is the pleasure of the commissioners? Move to approve. Second. We have a motion to approve by Vice Chairman Maynard and a second by Commissioner Thompson. And we'll go to a vote. Uh, the case passes 502. Next case item is 22-5073. Uh, SD number 22-054, final plat of lot one, block six, Parkside addition, Estates addition on approximately 2.031 acres located in Henry McGahey Survey, abstract number 998 by Houseman Investment Partners Limited Owner and Bannister Engineering LLC Engineer Surveyor. I'll turn it over to city staff. Commissioners, the purpose of this plat is to create a 2.031 acre commercial lot for commercial development. The plat conforms to the approved preliminary plat um, that was submitted during the zoning, uh, sorry, during zoning approval. Um, the, this piece of property uh, is located at, along Debbie uh, and Walnut Creek. Um, it sits at the north end of the Parkside Edition uh, townhome development that we've seen through uh, rezoning cases and the, the preliminary plat before. Uh, this, or sorry, this 
final plat does conform to the to the items that we saw within the preliminary plat, and um, staff recommends approval as it does meet all standards of the subdivision control ordinance. Thank you, Artie. With that, we will uh, open the public hearing at seven o'clock. I have no cards on this case. Does anyone wish to come speak? All right, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing at 7.01 and open it to commissioner comments. I'm wondering if it could make the dip a little bit deeper between the two houses. I don't know what it would do between people in the back of that or not but to look at it it looks like it's getting worn out and it needs a little bit of attention anyway there's no place for the kids to play there's no sidewalks and so that's why that they would come and put their little skateboards in there and play in there a lot thank you ma'am i would say if you have any concerns you can bring them up with city staff and they can uh, discuss them with you okay. appreciate it thank you. Any questions on this case by any of the commissioners? I'd move to approve. Second. All right, we have a motion to approve by Commissioner Goodwin and a second by Commissioner Gilmore. We'll go to a vote. Uh, the case passes four, one, two. Next item on the agenda. Last but certainly not least, 22-5072, um, OA number 22-007, a public hearing to consider proposed amendments to chapter 155 zoning to revise the definition of an accessory dwelling in section 155.012 to repeal section 155.082E7 in its entirety and to revise regulations related to accessory dwellings in section 155.099B35. Mr. Alexander, the floor is yours. Thank you, Chairman. Next slide, Chair. So the accessory dwelling units has come before the Planning and Zoning Commission on multiple occasions, first starting with amending the definition for the same under the downtown district. It then led to a wider conversation about introducing this housing type throughout the city. One of the first things that we are proposing to amend under this ordinance that was remanded back to the Planning and Zoning Commission is that the definition for accessory dwelling be changed to an accessory dwelling unit or ADU. And that definition is in front of you. 
It reads thusly that an accessory dwelling unit is a dwelling unit that is subservient to a principal dwelling unit in size, location, and design, often located above garages or in independent buildings towards the rear of a lot. ADUs may be rented, provided the property owner lives in a principal dwelling unit, or alternatively, the property owner may live in the ADU and rent the principal dwelling unit. And again, that's changing this definition so that it's not limited to only members of the family or guests, as well as providing a limitation on the time that one could spend within an accessory dwelling. In terms of the provisions under section 155.082, letter E, number seven, that deals entirely with these types of cases coming before the zoning board of adjustments and with the rewrite of the provisions under section 155.099, letter B, number 35, essentially these items would not go before the zoning board of adjustments, that these items could be appealed directly to the city council in terms of interpretation and administration. And there is also a provision proposed within the ordinance in front of the Planning and Zoning Commission tonight that would allow the Director of Planning to make adjustments for setbacks up to 20% of those setbacks as well as for building design standards and those would be the only things that could be approved administratively. And again, that's taken a little bit from the warrant process under the D Downtown District as well as the S South Mansfield Forum Based Development District. In terms of those special conditions, this is an entire rewrite of the section dealing with those provisions based off the discussion as well as the direction and guidance provided by the Planning and Zoning Commission on October 3rd. Presently, as it stands within the zoning ordinance, accessory dwellings as they are known now, they are permitted by right within the A agricultural PR, pre-development, and SF single-family residential zoning districts as depicted in section 155.054. That being said, under the current definition, again, it can only be used for guests and for temporary members of the family to stay there for a certain period of time. They are also allowed by right throughout the D downtown district and the S South Mansfield form-based development district in some, these provisions are intended to mesh those disparate provisions for accessory dwelling units into one that could be found under 155.099 B35. Still sticking with those special conditions, accessory dwelling units as proposed may only be constructed in the following locations within a principal dwelling unit above a freestanding garage or as an independent freestanding building. And I have some images that will further reinforce that notion. The habitable area of accessory dwellings are limited to a maximum of 1,000 square feet or 75% of the habitable area of the principal dwelling unit, if I can get that out. And so that being stated, we're no longer talking about detached versus attached. It's up to the property owner to decide within those locations if it's going to be within a principal dwelling unit above a garage or as an independent freestanding building, as well as limitations on the habitable area. As proposed, 
It would be limited to two units per lot in the A agricultural, PR pre-development, and SF-1222 single-family residential districts. In all other zoning districts, including a PD plan development district, it would be limited to one, with the exception that if the lot is greater than 12,000 square feet in area, it may have two units. I do want to pause here and say that as part of this special condition, language is proposed as a requirement that the owner of the property that has two accessory dwelling units that they register with the Department of Regulatory Compliance. And that's to ensure that, again, we're not circumventing or working around our rental registration ordinance. So that's the purpose of having that limitation. That's also the purpose for including that provision with regards to registering with the Department of Regulatory Compliance. In terms of height, they would be limited to two stories. And again, the total habitable area of the principal dwelling unit and the accessory dwelling unit may not exceed the maximum lot coverage of the zoning district in which the property is located. So for some of the single family zoning districts, there's a maximum lot coverage of 45%. If an accessory dwelling unit will cause that property to have a lot coverage that exceeds that, it would not be permitted. So this is one of the factors that will be involved that would help aid in ensuring that we aren't violating the provisions of the single family residential zoning districts. And I will also pause here to note that under the use table, under a row house or a townhome zoning district, which is 2F for the city of Mansfield, as well as multifamily, this use is not permitted as an accessory use. Again, sticking with these special conditions and authorizing the director of planning to make minor adjustments that do not constitute a decrease of more than 20%. Again, that's for setbacks only, as well as building design to encourage the use of these types of dwelling units. And again, a property owner that is denied a permit for constructing an accessory dwelling unit, they may appeal directly to the city council. So in terms of what this can look like, which is included within the draft ordinance. At the far left-hand corner of your screen, that shows a home without an ADU. Essentially, that is a home with a detached garage. The next five illustrations working in a left-to-right manner show how an accessory dwelling unit can be added to a structure in a variety of ways, either through a garage conversion a home addition through another home addition, as well as a detached version, and then a garage addition. So all in accordance with the provisions describing the locations that an accessory dwelling unit may be located. In terms of architecture and urban design, giving another look at how an accessory dwelling unit can be integrated into the existing urban fabric. Again, one unit to the left, that is above a set of garages, and another unit to the right that isn't attached to a garage, but it is indeed detached from the principal dwelling unit. And then examples of what that can look like. So here in Prospect, Kentucky, this is Norton Commons. From what we were able to see, this building to the left 
would qualify as an accessory dwelling unit. That on the ground floor, that is garage space, and above, that is space that could indeed be used as an accessory dwelling. You do see that there are similar architectural features in terms of the proportions for the window openings and for the doors, as well as architectural detailing. Again, this is a really good example of how these types of units can be integrated into the existing urban fabric. Here's another example of an accessory dwelling unit that is detached from, in this example, a townhome within the S South Mansfield Foreign-Based Development District and within a D Downtown District, row houses or townhomes or brownstones, they can have accessory dwelling units. And this is a really good image that illustrates how this type of facility can be integrated again with this type of use. So again, there are a number of provisions within the proposed draft ordinance that, again, are based off of the discussion that was held on October 3rd, as well as the direction and the guidance received by the Planning and Zoning Commission. Staff does recommend approval of the amendments as proposed, subject to review by the city attorney. And I know we have had a lot of conversation on accessory dwelling units. I would like to pause there and answer any questions that the Planning and Zoning Commission may have. And again, this is a public hearing. I think we'll save the questions when we get into the hearing there, Jason. Thank you. All right, we'll open the public hearing at 7.14. I have one card. Uh, from Don Lautner. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Don Lautner. I um, live at 18004 Fox Hollow Drive here in Mansfield. Uh, I guess that review of this proposal shows that it, it still contains multiple concerns that remain from the uh, September version that was unanimously rejected by the commissioners. Uh, so I'd like to go through some of the concerns that I have and hope that the commissioners share some of those concerns. <clears throat> to start with, uh, the uh, first concern is the proposed ordinance uh, significantly re redefines the use of accessory dwelling units. As uh, Mr. Alexander has already stated, uh, the current ordinance bans the rental of accessory dwelling units, and this proposal lifts that ban. Uh, so with this proposal, a single-family lot can now contain up to three dwelling units, two of which can be rented. So requiring that the owner occupy one of those dwelling units is really not much different than requiring that a duplex or a triplex be owner-occupied. It doesn't really change the fact that this is not, no longer a single family use, but it's a multifamily use uh, in the land use code. <clears throat> so this proposal effectively reclassifies all single family zoned areas into some type of hybrid 2F or MF1 uh, zoning area. And I seriously doubt that many single family property owners 
would welcome this change if they were aware of it. Uh, and this, as another comment, uh, neighboring cities really don't allow ADU rentals in pure single-family zoned areas. And ditto for Austin. So my recommendation is to retain the current ADU definition and which prohibits the rental of ADUs. A second concern of the, this proposal increases the size of ADUs that are allowed, specifically for attached ADUs. We're changing from 1,000 square feet or 50% of the uh, domain residence, whichever is less, and we're now going to 1,000 square feet or 75% of the main residence with a silence in the proposal as to whether it's a whichever is less or whichever is greater. And the inclusion of subparagraph 3.I in that uh, proposal implies a which, whichever is greater criteria now instead of a whichever is less criteria. So if all that is true, then as an example, a 3,000 square foot residence can have a 2,250 square foot attached assisted dwelling unit to it which sounds to me like a very large duplex now on a single family lot. Likewise, detached ADUs uh, size is increased from 50% of the current unit, uh, uh, the current uh, main residence, but they're only allowed currently on lots that are 20,000 square feet or larger. Uh, and it has to, it requires a board of adjustments public hearing for a waiver process in order to implement a detached unit. This change bumps the size to 75% and it can be placed on any lot within the single family areas without any kind of bo uh, board of adjustment public hearing required. So at 75% of the main residence the attached and detached accessory dwelling units are effectively additional houses being placed on a single family lot. And I guess one other comment on the size is other Texas cities and even the California state level accessory dwelling unit law does not allow accessory dwelling units of this size within, within the cities. So my recommendation is to retain the current size limits on accessory dwelling units. Uh, third concern is this proposal is relaxing the setback requirements for detached accessory dwelling units. Currently, accessory dwelling units have to be uh, set back 15 feet from the rear, 10 feet from the side yards. This is now allowing them to be set back only five feet from the rear and side yards for a single story accessory dwelling unit, detached accessory dwelling unit. And uh, this proposed setback requirement is even less stringent than what the city is already requiring for simple storage accessory buildings on, on single family lots. Like a 12 foot tall storage building has to have an 11 foot rear setback and a nine foot side yard set, setback. So a single story accessory dwelling unit is going to be taller than this 12 foot storage building which requires a larger setback. So it makes no sense to me on why a one story accessory dwelling unit is, is gonna, or even 
uh, a two-story assessor dwelling unit is going to have a shorter setback requirement than, than currently required on uh, the main residence. So I think the existing, the recommendation is the existing setback requirements in the zoning code should be retained. If the, if the lot can't satisfy that, then it, should, it does, doesn't need an, uh, a detached separate dwelling unit on it either. <clears throat> the fourth concern is the, uh, the current zoning limits the lots to one accessory dwelling unit. This proposal is now allowing any lot that contains uh, at least 12,000 square feet to have two accessory dwelling units. So that essentially is allowing about 150% space of rented apartment space on a single family property, which uh, seems to be a little bit ex excessive. So it's hard to fathom it's hard for me to fathom why the city will allow two rented apartments on what is currently a single-family zoned property. So my recommendation is to retain the current restriction of only one accessory dwelling unit on a lot. The fifth concern, uh, maximum lot coverage. Uh, as Mr. Alexander mentioned, uh, they're requiring that the ADUs meet the 45% lot coverage requirement, but the kicker is that they're now only counting the habitable area of the ADU and not the actual footprint of all the structures on the property. So by city code definition, habitable area doesn't include things like bathrooms, hallways, closets, things that you don't normally live in per se, and so by only counting the habitable area of the ADU and the habitable area of the main house in the 45% coverage area, you're essentially redefining the coverage area and allowing a higher density uh, building on the single family properties. So the recommendation is you should clarify that the maximum lot coverage requirement applies to all the building structures on the, on the property, and it uses the ground footprints of those structures and not the habitable areas of those structures. The sixth concern is uh, the uh, proposed section 5I allows the planning department to administratively grant uh, exemptions to some of the ADU requirements as long as ex the ex exceptions are minor. Uh, I think Mr. Alexander mentioned the 20% reduction in setback as one of those possible uh, administrative authorities. My recommendation is to delete this section. There's no need for additional administrative relaxation authority. Plus, as I understand it, that's the purview of the Board of Zoning uh, Adjustments. My uh, seventh concern is uh, having to do with uh, the lots that that have two ADUs. Uh, Section 5B8 requires that they be registered, but it's not clear what this registration really is, the way the, uh, the ordinance is written. It's assumed that this is referring to the annual registration and possible uh, inspection required for multifamily dwellings that are in code section 158. And by that 
code section 158's definition, a lot with 280Us plus a residence is a multifamily dwelling complex and requires annual registration and possible inspection. So as such, section 158 should be referenced in the subparagraph if that's, if that's the uh, registration that's being referred to. If the proposal is referring to some other registration, then it needs to clarify what that registration is. But it appears that a 280U property, if that's going to be allowed with a single family residence, qualifies or meets the criteria for multifamily complex in the city's existing zoning code. So my recommendation is to reference section 158 <coughs> for the registration requirement if we're gonna continue with 280U. So in conclusion, uh, multiple ADUs on a lot, uh, lot line encroachment, increased ADU size, all those items might be okay for a dezoned area in the city which already allows multi-family uh, uh, dwellings as a permitted use, but it should not be imposed on existing single-family properties. Mansfield citizens have dedicated a significant part of their wealth to their single-family residence with an understanding of what the zoning ordinances protect provide protection for and the neighborhood environment that they're were investing in. So the city should not be redefining single-family zoning into some kind of multifamily zoning without a major highly publicized public forum to give the citizens an opportunity to, uh, to discuss this. So I recommend that the commissioners reject or table this proposal for additional revision. Thank you, and I'm available for any comments. Thank you, Mr. Lautner. I have no other cards for this case. Anyone else wish to speak? All right, seeing none, we will uh, close the public hearing at 725, 726, excuse me, and open it to commissioner comments. like to start no comments all right this is a uh, much easier for me to understand than the first one thank you yes sir Jason mr. Alexander I would echo <clears throat> Commissioner Goodwin's comments in regards to the how you've laid the information out <clears throat> it's certainly more explainable uh, and I have a better understanding. You may have explained it well the first time. Maybe I just didn't get it. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate what you've uh, shared with us tonight, and thank you so much for the extensive information in regards to what you are looking at, what the city is looking at in regards to the guidelines. Um, a couple of questions I have for you. Um, one of them is that uh, lots that are in excess of 12,000 square feet are allowed two units. Is that irregardless of what the size of the primary home is? Yes, sir, that's correct. With the understanding that the limitation is going to be the lot coverage that mm -hmm. would dictate really the total habitable area of the accessory dwelling unit. And if I may, I do want to make sure that we have the same understanding of the definition of lot coverage. Okay. 
Okay. So within the proposed ordinance, it speaks with regards to habitable area for accessory dwelling units, and that's creating consistent language across the existing zoning ordinance, as well as our foreign-based development districts. So by definition, a, or pardon me, lot coverage is defined as a percent of lot area which is covered by a roof, floor, or other structure and is not open to the sky. Roof eaves to the extent of two feet and ordinary projections from the building not exceeding 12 inches shall not be counted in computing coverage. So with that definition in mind and thinking about some of the larger lots, particularly those that could be developed on the western side of town and even some within the heart of the city, that we didn't think that that would be creating a multifamily situation if that answers your question there in terms yes. of habitable area. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, the current ordinance in regards to accessory buildings themselves, mm -hmm. I believe if um, the lot is under 20,000 square feet, is the maximum size 400 square feet for that accessory building? I'll need to look that up to confirm, but that number sounds vaguely familiar, and I'm seeing a nod of yes. Okay, okay, so if I have a 20,000 square foot lot, then and you can have, what, how large could I build this accessory dwelling unit? So if you have a 20,000 square foot lot, and let's assume that maybe is zoned as PR, pre-development, or a single family, 1222, then on that basis, it would be 45% of whatever 20,000 is. So off the top of my head, you that said might be. 45%? Yeah, 45%, so that might okay. be. Let's so a little, less, a little less than 1,000. So that plus the minimum floor area for the home, which is 2,600, I believe, by code, plus the 400 is 3,000, so that will still leave 1,000 square feet tops, or 75% of the habitable area of the principal dwelling unit. Okay, okay. So um, I think when you talk about new development, completely new subdivision that is going in, new neighborhood, I think this is a wonderful idea. And the reason why I say that is because um, if I'm moving into a new neighborhood and this is already something that I am aware of is allowed, mm -hmm. then it's easily for me to accept and say yes or no whether I wanna move in that neighborhood. Uh, where, I, where I have the challenge is if I'm already in a single family neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And when you move into a single family neighborhood, if you've been there for three, four, five years, you pretty much know what's accepted and what's not. And uh, the struggle I have is, is, is having this be allowed to take place in a fully developed, fully completely neighborhood that's been in existence for quite some time, and this has not been allowed, and all of a sudden there is a new, something new allowed in the neighborhood that I have to now accept. Yes, sir. Um, I, and I'm not, I don't think I'm speaking only for myself. I, I'm just thinking about what our homeowners are going to think. Mm -hmm. Because you're in an established neighborhood and you knew what was acceptable. You knew that you could build a 400 square foot storage building. You knew that it could not be two stories. You knew that it had to be a certain height. You knew that it had to be a certain distance away from the fence. And now the game changes. And that wasn't the reason. Well, it may or may not have been. But you didn't move in the neighborhood knowing that that was something that was going to be allowed. So I think it's a good idea to offer in new, new development. I'm just concerned about how it's accepted in existing single family neighborhoods. As Mr. Walker talked about earlier, um, 
the concern that that brings in regards to that being put into the neighborhood. Yes, sir. And if I may answer the question posed as well as the concerns from this angle, there were a number of cities that were brought up in their accessory dwelling unit ordinances. And what's interesting is that the city of Houston doesn't have zoning, but yet they have processes in place that allow for accessory dwelling units to go into existing as well as new single-family residential neighborhoods. Granted, that may be an outlier, but what is unique about their system is that they have a set of accessory dwelling unit plans that property owners can choose from that they would want to have constructed on their property. The city of Austin, they are working on a new zoning code. Memory doesn't serve me very well right now if that has been adopted, but they are in the process of transforming their code from one that is Euclidean-based to one that is more form-based. So eliminating just purely single-family zoning classifications and going more towards varying degrees of mixed use and of higher intensity residential uses. El Paso and San Antonio, as well as the city of Dallas, they also have accessory dwelling unit, owned, uh, accessory dwelling unit ordinances that also closely follow the owner-occupancy considerations that we have in place. So again, it's not mandating that this is a use that has to occur on property. It's given the option for that use to occur. And I think sometimes there's a concern about the levels of owner-occupancy and owner-occupied units. But it appears from our research with the Bureau of the Census that since 2007, 2008, the levels of owner-occupancy are actually declining in the United States. So again, if you're allowing owners to remain in their properties longer, that they can downsize. Matter of fact, someone just mentioned that they moved from a larger home to a smaller home that I spoke with earlier today. This would allow for that to occur as well as stabilizing neighborhoods. So I'm saying that within the context that the provision of accessory dwelling units, it helps with easing housing attainability, housing affordability, stabilizes neighborhoods. And I would also add on top of that, that it doesn't circumvent our definition for family, which is four or more unrelated individuals or apartment house. So that's why we were very particular in how we crafted that language. Again, one to protect existing as well as future single family neighborhoods. Yeah, and I, and I think that's great. I, um, I know it's not the normal protocol, but I think, it would, I think this is one of those situations where it'd be great to get a, a pulse of how the city feels. Yes, sir. And I know we don't normally do that in these type of situations, but it's just, to me, it's a dramatic change for someone who has been in a neighborhood for quite some time, and then this becomes allowable. Yes, sir. Uh, especially the two-story. Now, one, one level, probably more tolerable, but when you talk about a two-story going into the rear of a property, and mm -hmm. unfortunately, a lot of our neighborhoods, they have small lots, so they mm -hmm. still have a lot large enough to be able to do this, but if you go two stories, now you're, you're right five feet away from the fence or 10 feet away from the fence looking over into someone's yard. So Yes, sir. Just, just my thoughts. I, I appreciate the information. I think you've done a great job of crafting this out. And uh, I'm excited about how the city does look at different ways of doing different things throughout the city. So thanks for the information. I'm just going to kind of echo uh, what Commissioner Maynard and Godwin have spoke upon the fact that 
I understand this a lot better now, <laughs> uh, and maybe it's just more explanation of it, uh, but I'll also echo, this, echo the sentiments of, of pre-existing conditions, I'll call it. Um, people that have purchased their homes, larger lots. Um, I, I know some homeowners associations may be able to regulate that, but again, that's very limited in nature as well. So this really does fall back to this one city ordinance that is, is kind of given a, a, for lack of better terms, a blanket uh, approval upon these ADUs. And that's my concern. Um, I agree that a, a public forum would be the best case scenario uh, to look at this, and then I can make a you know, recommendation based upon a lot more input uh, at that point. But um, again, I, I appreciate the work, and there's been a lot of effort on city staff's part in putting this together, and I do appreciate that. Uh, at the direction of city council. And so um, I just think there needs to be some more input on this. Okay. Okay, I said I had no comments, but now I'm retracting that. <laughs> um, so this is much more an elaborative plan and definition of it, which I think is great. Uh, I will go back and say that I thought that the first plan was great too. I think sometimes what we tend to see on paper is not necessarily the vision probably of what the city is is trying to do in by having an accessory unit um, available it's not a necessity not everybody is going to go out and do it but by having one available it could mean that if you know you have a elderly parent um, that maybe needs to downsize and and maybe you can't afford assisted living then they could now be on site with you or if you have college-aged kids that are going off then they're able to now be on site with you, even in established neighborhoods. I don't think um, that with the way that it's outlined and, and uh, the guidelines of it, um, I don't think it's going to be a detriment into established neighborhoods. I don't think it would cause eyesores. I think it just opens the door for some of the more established neighborhoods to be able to compensate maybe their own living situation or those of them around them. That's my thought. <laughs> well, I will, uh, I've been trying to sit back and listen. <laughs> That's what you should be doing. Um, um, I do have several questions to ask. Um, and then I want to just go back to some of the items that Mr. Lautner brought up to get some feedback on some of the concerns that he had. Yes, sir. Is there a minimum square foot for Havel area? For other zoning districts or just for the accessory? For, just for the accessory dwelling unit. So it is for residential zoning districts, it's just categorized differently. So that would be the minimum lot coverage in terms of the roof structures to building footprint. So for example, for SF-1222, the minimum building footprint for the principal structure is 2,600 square feet. For the principal, okay. So there's no, we don't identify what, if I wanna go put an accessory dwelling unit down in that case, what's the, the, the habitable area that I'm gonna have in that accessory dwelling unit, what is that? So that would be based off what's in the proposed ordinance. It'll be 1,000 square feet or 
of the habitable area. So again, it's just what staff is recommending as a percentage. If the Planning and Zoning Commission wanted to see that figure decrease, then certainly the Planning and Zoning Commission could make that adjustment as an amendment for the City Council to consider. But again, it's a notion if we go back to this image kind of shown from Prospect, Kentucky, if we can go back a few slides, please. Right there. That again, if we look at that in relationship to the principal dwelling unit from the street, it reads as if you've got two principal structures, right? Even though that ground floor and the building to the left side of the screen is garage space and above could be accessory space potentially, but it doesn't destroy the fabric of the community. It's not out of character visually. So that is potentially what we're talking about in terms of an accessory dwelling unit and then a principal structure that are really coexisting side by side. Okay. The, I thought, when I read the ordinance, I thought it didn't say minimum, it said a maximum of 1,000 square feet. Maximum of 1,000 or 75%. So again, I don't know what the floor area is for the principal dwelling unit, the detached single family home on the right. But what I would posit for the Planning and Zoning Commission to consider is that the ordinance wouldn't impact just single family residential neighborhoods. It would also have influence over our foreign-based development districts, in particular the downtown district, which if this ordinance is approved as presented or with adjustments, that the definition for ancillary dwelling in the D downtown district, which would become an accessory dwelling unit, would then reference back to section 155.099B35 in terms of design standards, in terms of habitable areas, so forth, and so on. So again, kind of looking here at this image and habitable area, again, it's a maximum either it's 1,000 square feet or 75%, you're giving the property owner that option. Okay. Um, Mr. Lautner brought up the, um, that, you know, this change would, could reclassify single-family to multifamily. Could you provide some insight on that? Absolutely. So again, the definition for family is no more than four unrelated individuals that are li living within the same structure. And what we're talking about with an accessory dwelling unit is that even if there were more than four unrelated individuals, that would be in violation of zoning. So with an accessory dwelling unit, we're saying that it's accessory too. It's not disrupting the single family residential character of our neighborhoods, because again, the principal structure is a single family residence. This is an accessory use. So from our standpoint, it would be, what would be the difference if we weren't looking at a single family home, we were looking at an estate home that had no accessory dwelling unit, but that had multiple vehicles and multiple individuals living there. The only time that we would be concerned about a violation 
of the Code of Ordinances is if something was indeed reported to the Department of Regulatory Compliance. But if all of those individuals are related that live within that estate home, what would be the difference between that estate home and a detached single-family home, much like what's in the picture here, and an accessory dwelling unit? You still haven't destroyed the nature of the community, which, again, is single-family residential. All that's being contemplated is the fact that there's an option to have an accessory dwelling unit and that potentially you could have up to four unrelated individuals residing on that same property. Um, we talked about the, or we had discussion about, um, like where one ADU unit falls and where you could toss, possibly have two, right? My concern with the way it's written is that not all 12,000 square foot lots are the same. So in the grand scheme of things, if I have a lot that varies in geography, and I can essentially go put the accessory dwelling unit anywhere on my property, correct? So as long as it meets those setback requirements as proposed, which I think is a minimum of 50 feet from that front property line, and then the setback requirements are five and seven and a half feet from the rear and the side, depending on the height of the structure. But essentially there's no consideration of, you know, let's say I have a, I don't know, a drainage easement that goes through my property. Or, you know, how does that work if I propose to put an accessory dwelling unit that encroaches into that easement? So that's what we wanted to be definitely sure about. And I believe that there is a provision as proposed within the accessory dwelling unit language that that structure cannot encroach into an easement. So we did add that to be mindful of easements. If that I think is yeah. what you're getting at yeah. about encroaching into those easements. So an easement of any sort, right? Whether right, you still have to be set back from that. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. Um, I think you covered, um, you know, you brought up some examples of cities that are looking at, either looking at or have changed or made modifications to this type of ordinance for their cities, but I mean, anything you mentioned a lot of major cities. What about cities that are in more of a comparable nature to Mansfield? Or any of our adjacent neighbors like Arlington, Grand Prairie? What is, have they, are they looking at this, their ordinances at the same time for this, for accessory dwelling units or? I don't know if they're looking at their <laughs> ordinances currently for that. I know for us, it's really become a topic because of the fact that within the community, there are many that are struggling to find attainable housing. And then even right now with the uncertainty in the global economic outlook, that even some capital for multifamily residential lenders is drying up. And then even for some of our multifamily residences, we've heard about the rents that those who are living there are having to pay. So again, not making it a situation of renter versus owner occupancy or renting versus owning, but simply stating that there is a crisis in the housing market and accessory dwelling units are one way of addressing that crisis within the housing market right now. So I know that communities of various sizes across the country are looking at ways to integrate this type of 
housing opportunity into their neighborhoods, and even some are completely abolishing single-family residential zoning districts as a way to provide more diverse housing options. So I think it's depending on the community that is looking at their housing needs and how best to address those. But from what has been toured, what has been seen, and what has been researched, this is one way of helping that. And this isn't by any means the only option for helping to provide a more attainable measure of housing for the community. It's just one. Okay, I don't think anybody really has the answer to the housing, no. housing situation. Um, I think it just goes with the flow and figures itself out on its own. You need to think more, more that way. But um, um, the other question I had, can, okay, so this Office of Compliance, Regulatory Compliance, can you kind of walk us through a little bit, maybe expand on the explanation of this? Is it required? Is it just optional? I mean, give us your take. So my take on that is, again, we wanted to be very mindful of not creating an ordinance that would conflict potentially with the rental registration ordinance. The rental registration ordinance is very specific about what would require inspections and registration. So as a way to ensure that accessory dwelling units weren't popping up all over the community without concern to the welfare, the well-being of those occupying them, what was discussed was a way of having them to be registered if it were two or more. So that way the Department of Regulatory Compliance can make sure that we weren't having a situation with accessory dwelling units that were substandard. Not to say that even one accessory dwelling unit on a property, if it is substandard, they wouldn't come out and inspect, but really reinforcing that. In terms of the actual provisions and what that would look like, I would certainly yield to our Department of Regulatory Compliance on that. But again, it's just making sure that here that it is well known, unlike other zoning districts, that there is a requirement for accessory dwelling units to be registered. That's simply not just constructing one and moving on about your business, but it's constructing one and doing so that is in compliance with our ordinance. All right, thank you, Jason. Um, I think the, the change kind of gives the city planner a little bit more leeway and discretion when exceptions are asked for. Um, is there any check to that? Process. So the check to that was specifically outlining only setbacks and building design. And then the other checks would come from the decision-making body, which would be city council. As originally contemplated when this ordinance came before the Planning and Zoning Commission, it was a notion of possibly a warrant being used, similar to the D Downtown District and the S South Mansfield Forum Base Development District. As warrant isn't defined anywhere else within the zoning ordinance with the exception of those two districts, staff believe that it would be best to maybe limit that power. And then if there were any other provisions that need to be considered, that it could be appealed directly to the city council. All right. Thank you, sir. Um, I will say that... Um, I've kind of gone back and forth about this. And uh, I still have concerns about uh, more or less enforcement. I have some concerns about how this affects HOA neighborhoods. 
and how they're, they can manage the, the rental portion of it. Um, I think Vice Chairman Maynard has made some great points as well. Um, I will say I kind of like the idea of, of focus on new development in Mansfield. I know we've opened the door. I, I believe we did the right, we've done the right thing and opened the door correctly in downtown and uh, the form-based district, South Mansfield form-based district, and I fully support that. Um, if some tweaking needs to be done from what was done previously to look at some of the things that are being proposed here to that, certainly open to it, but I'm still struggling with basically opening the door to this for all of Mansfield to go after and, and be available to use if they meet the requirement. So may I share three observations for the consideration of the Planning and Zoning Commission. The first one being that if this is indeed presented to the City Council with or without amendments for adoption, if there is something that we see that isn't working according to plan, it can always come back to the Planning and Zoning Commission and the City Council for amendment. The second thing is that with respect to housing, there is a fine line not only with zoning, but also with the Federal Housing Act that at some point in time, and I certainly yield to our city attorney for a more legal explanation of this, that if homeowner associations restrict these types of units from coming into their neighborhoods, that they're probably gonna to want to do so with consultation of an attorney just to make sure that they are falling within the guidelines that are provided under federal law. And I kind of stopped there because that certainly isn't my cup of tea, but that was certainly something that we did inquire about was the impact of this type of provision on a homeowners association. That was a legal feedback that we received there. And then the third observation would be if there's some sort of time frame that the Planning and Zoning Commission wanted to consider for where this could go in, then that's certainly an option as well. So I present those three items for your consideration as a body. Could you expand on the last one? What do you mean by time Absolutely. Frame? So in some provisions of the zoning ordinance, there is a date that exempts certain platted properties, that sort of thing from forthcoming regulations. A real good case in point of that would be in the landscape ordinance that came before the Planning and Zoning Commission earlier this year. There was a provision in there that didn't require landscaping plans for certain properties that were zone, zoned a certain way. If there is something that the Planning and Zoning Commission wants to see added to these provisions that are similar to that, then that certainly is something that we could take a look at. It's certainly something that could be run past our legal team. But again, we do want to be mindful of not only zoning laws, but also federal laws related to housing. Jason, just, just a few questions for follow-up. Um, I noticed in the accessory building guidelines, we have a setback of five feet, five feet from the rear of the home and five feet in between each accessory building. I don't know that I saw anything regarding that in the new guidelines. No, sir. You're correct. Okay. So there won't be a requirement there? So I think the thought process there was 
yielding more to the building code and some other codes in terms of distance requirements. However, if that's something that the Planning and Zoning Commission would want to see of distance requirements between two accessory dwelling units or between accessory dwelling unit and a principal dwelling unit, that certainly is at the discretion of the Planning and Zoning Commission to act. Okay, and then the only other question I had is, and I think you talked about this the first time we had this discussion, driveway approaches for these accessory dwelling units. Can you kind of talk about that? Yes, sir. So I can't remember what our conversations were from October 3rd on that entirely, but I believe we did leave that out because I think there were some concerns about that. But if that is a provision that the Planning and Zoning Commission would like to see reintroduced, it certainly can be. One final follow-up question. Is there any <clears throat> requirements for, um, because this proposed ordinance change would affect existing platted homes, is there any requirements for notifying homeowners in this scenario? There wouldn't be in this scenario because it's an accessory use. It's not a principal use, and it's not triggering a rezoning. Okay. I'll start this as a discussion in the form of a motion that we approve this with two points. The first being that we would recommend that this would not uh, take effect earlier than one year after the city council approved it and that we recommend that the city council look at the possibility of adding on an additional driveway space for an ADU or something similar to get the, some of the vehicles off the street. Can I ask a question on your motion there? Yeah. Absolutely. What would be the purpose in delaying it by a year with city council approval? Simply what you were discussing, um, giving uh, the people of Mansfield some advance notice on this. It would become something, uh, it, yes, that it's in a nutshell. All right, we have a motion on the floor.
With no seconds, I'll retract. Okay. Motion has been retracted. Mr. Lautner, did you have a question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately the public hearing is closed. So, um, I don't, I don't mind jumping in and, and sticking my neck out there a little bit, but I, I would make a motion that we uh, possibly table this um, decision and recommend further uh, public hearings or um, town hall, some sort of public um, notification and meeting um, to get the citizens of Mansfield involved with this, um, not decision-making process, that's up to the, the city council ultimately, but um, Again, make a motion to table this decision and recommend a, a public forum for uh, city council. Typically, from a procedural standpoint, the commission would um, uh, the com the commission's job in general is to provide a recommendation to the city council. Uh, if that is the commission's uh, choice to ask the city council if that's what what the decision should be made on this one, then that should. If you're tabling the case, I think one staff would need to have a, a definite time that we were coming back to hear the case again. And two, we would have to understand the items that the commission needed more information on. Um, the commission, if they do not feel comfortable with the ordinance as it's written, can make a motion either with stipulations or make a motion with items that they're asking council to uh, get uh, direct information from staff on. Uh, but to simply table a case at our point when, when uh, really uh, the, the point of the commission is to make a recommendation, I think that's what staff would, would prefer to see is that there be a recommendation to city council. And if city council chooses to, to act on that uh, the same way that the commission is asking, then, then I think yes. Uh, it could be uh, if somebody wanted to make a motion to approve with city council asking for uh, additional public hearings or city council asking for additional town halls or other types of informational meetings. Maybe that's what y'all's motion could be. Uh, but again, I think at, at this point, a motion either way is one that staff would, would yeah. prefer to see. In that case, I will make a motion that we approve with a recommendation to the city council that they consider the possibility of public hearings. If I may, Mr. Chairman, so will be a public hearing when it goes before the city council, but perhaps for informational meetings or town hall meetings to clarify. 
Let me restate that then. I uh, would recommend that we approve this with a recommendation of the council that they consider uh, some type of uh, town hall meetings, perhaps, to gauge and engage the citizens. Okay, let's back up for a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a motion from Commissioner Gilmore to table it. Which is retracted. Okay. First step done. Second step, Commissioner Goodwin, you now have a motion to approve with, state it again for clarification. A recommendation that the council consider having some type of public meetings or town hall meetings to engage the citizens of Mansfield on this issue. Okay. Just to clarify, I'm asking for approval so we don't accidentally, I don't want us to try to vote something. I don't want us to fall in the, <laughs> the pitfall we fell into once, okay? So I'm asking for approval. Okay, we have a motion to approve with consideration of public forum, public education of, for yes. the uh, changes to the accessory dwelling ordinance. Second. Do we have a second? We have a second from Commissioner Thompson. With that, we'll go to a vote. Healthy debate. Move to the next item of agenda, summary of city council actions. So I'm gonna to try to go off of memory for this one. Planning and zoning commission, I left my notes there in the back. The first item that was unanimously approved on the first and second public hearings was Wisteria. That is the mixed-use development that is going to be coming in to the east of us on East Broad Street. Copper Creek, which was a subdivision that would include, I believe, 12 detached single-family homes that was also approved on the first hearing and reading. It will go back to the City Council for a second hearing and reading on December 12th. The future land use plan, the City Council selected Freeze and Nichols to be the consultant, provided that we're able to negotiate a contract with them and that it is for an amount that the City Council will approve. So again, that will go before the City Council on December 12th, and that will be the actual contract. And I'm trying to remember if there were, oh, the specific use permit for urban living phase two, that was tabled until the developer could come back and address some concerns that City Council had there with aesthetics and some other site design considerations. 
and I believe there's one more item that I'm not remembering at this moment. I wasn't following. There was the, the industrial case on 287. Industrial Reserve, thank you. That planned development district, that was also tabled for some additional consideration by the city council in terms of a list of uses that perhaps would not go on that property because it is adjoining residentially zoned property. That will go back to the city council on December 12th for the first hearing and reading. And if successful there, the second hearing and reading will be the same night. And that's the summary of city council actions. And I'll answer any questions planning and zoning commission may have about those items. Thank you, Jason. Uh, next, we'll go to commissioner announcements. I will start on my right, Commissioner Thompson. Yes, I would just like for the record to be known that on 22-50-73, I hit an unintentional no on the vote. So, but since the vote carried anyway, it does not need to be amended. All right, thank you. Mr. Goodwin. Just a Merry Christmas to all and everyone drive carefully. Thank you. And you can now go to TxDOT and find a video that explains the connector project. Vice Chairman Maynard. <laughs> Hope everyone has a Merry Christmas, be safe and enjoy your families. Just a Merry Christmas to everyone as well. Yes, that Commissioner Goodwin is correct. We had the groundbreaking for Southeast Connector. Some of y'all don't know if you drive to Fort Worth, good luck the next five years. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to send out a personal thank you um, and just a, you know, a tremendous job by the volunteers, MISD, the city of Mansfield for a wonderful multi-day event for hometown holidays. Everyone did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, I know my family went up there Friday to enjoy the, the drone show and see Santa Claus. Just a well-run event over there, and I just want to send an appreciation to all who worked it and volunteered their time to, to make that festival really special for a lot of people. And then obviously the, um, the donations that were received for Toys for Tots by those in Mansfield. We have great citizens here. They give and they, they have a love for the city and I really appreciate that. That's why my family's here. Um, other than that, I echo the uh, commissioners here since we won't see each other again until after the holidays. Just have a Merry Christmas and uh, be safe and uh, we'll see you in 2023. So that takes us to staff announcements. I did want to make a quick uh, note on that seeing everybody in 2023 just as a reminder as opposed to our meeting being on a Monday because the, because City Hall will be closed on January 2nd our first meeting will be on Tuesday January 3rd all right thank you Artie any other announcements no, sir. all right I'll enter next as the adjournment of meeting so I'll entertain a motion move can I get a second? Second. All right. Motion by Commissioner Goodwin, second by Commissioner Gilmore. 
motion carries.